On this episode, we meet the new hotness in space travel, bad aliens go fishing and catch pike, Spot can't control his volume or his smile, and there are women on the bridge, and for some reason, it's a big deal. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Tribble Hippie. Welcome aboard. Take your station and find something to hold on to, because there are no seatbelts on this bridge. everybody welcome back to no seatbelts on the bridge uh this week we're getting started on something we've been talking about for quite a while we're going to get started on the original series and start talking about the individual episodes uh we've gone over all the movies and now we want to do something that's you know fun and cool (laughs) (laughs) something we actually enjoy right so we talked about where we were going to start and, you know, there's lots of natural progression for where to start the original series, but we thought, what the heck, we're going to do the real first pilot. So we're going to get into some Pike land stuff. <laughs> so this, this first episode is the cage. It's the first Star Trek pilot produced. Uh, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 1964 to 1965. <laughs> <laughs> so it was said to have started, started producing in November of 64 and then by post-production January of 65. Um, would go ahead and, and end up the production on it. And though it would really never be seen as an episode itself, other than the footage that was used in the episode of the Menagerie, uh, the regular uh, Kirk TOS series. Um, and it would actually be released on VHS in 1986, but it actually would not be broadcast anywhere until October of 1988 when it was used as a filler episode for the next generation during a writer strike. Yeah. Now I didn't realize that that was something that they did. I, I honestly thinking back, I don't remember the writer strike during TNG, but like I, an opportunity to actually see the cage back then. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I didn't see it on VHS or anything. Uh, the first time that I actually watched the cage all the way through was this, this playthrough. Um, <laughs> I've watched pieces of it. Obviously I've watched menagerie. Um, but yeah, this was, this was kind of a cool experience for me. I have to admit. And I just remember this. I actually saw it back in and I can't remember if it was 1979 or 80 Gene Roddenberry had done a speaking tour around universities and I went to go see him and he showed the restored cut of the cage, um, in its entirety and then spoke about it and spoke about the process of getting it uh, done. And then he also showed a uh, original series blooper reel, which at that time nobody had ever seen anything like that. So it was, it was pretty exciting. Now, did you read the story about why it was that it took so long for it to be re-released? No, I did not. So apparently the, the footage was never actually uh, fully produced. It was, they had a black and white demo reel that was created for it. And, uh, that is what had gone around and around for a long time. They showed it at, uh, uh, conventions and stuff. It was like one of those, you know, you could see the first pilot (laughs) and, uh, but yeah, it was, and that's all that existed. And then apparently somebody was cleaning out a, um, uh, film processing, uh, facility and they came across some color negatives. And they were kind of looking through it. And the person who was doing all this work was like, they realized what it was that they found. And so they actually reached out to Roddenberry and his production company and said, Hey, I think this is yours. Oh, wow. 
right and just did the right thing. <laughs> and so history was made and they were actually able to put together the original pilot in color. Unfortunately, it did not have a soundtrack, so they had to take the other dub and put it on there. And every once in a while, you can see there's a little bit of inconsistency in the sound. Yeah. But, and that's why. It's because they, they had to match two different cuts together. Wow, that was quite a process. Ooh. Yeah, right? It's it's a neat story, though. I can't believe somebody just was like altruistically like, you know, you, you probably <laughs> want this back, don't you? <laughs> now, interestingly enough, this, this show, or this... Uh, pilot, as we know, is the Pike pilot, right? This is a, it's a really big deal because everybody thinks of Kirk as the, the captain of the enterprise. Yes. Well, it was 55 years between the cage being released and the announcement of strange new worlds, <laughs> which as we know now is a great show with Pike <laughs> as, the, as the captain. So, uh, uh, Henry Alonzo, who's the, one of the showrunners and the executive producer on strange new worlds calls this the longest pilot to series pickup ever in television. <laughs> which is kind of apt if you think about it. <laughs> Lucy wasn't wrong when she said she wanted to have something that had lasting value. That's, that's right. Uh, she got it. <laughs> Man. So just a little nerd stuff here. The story that of the cage itself is supposed to be roughly about 13 years before the man trap, which is the very first broadcast episode of James T. Kirk. So we've got about that much time to play in between what we're seeing right now and what we'll see back, what we'll see then. Yeah. Your five year Um, mission's not looking so great now, is it? (laughs) (laughs) So the the, uh, pilot was uh, directed by Robert Butler, um, who was actually a very prolific TV, TV director. He did multiple episodes of so many television shows ranging from the Adam West Batman show to Hill street blues. Um, he also directed one of my favorite movies of all time, Hot Lead and Cold Feet. One of the interesting things about this is that there's lots of stories about when they pitch this and Lucy greenlighting this, but uh, they thought they had them. They really thought they had them, but they just couldn't quite get over the thing. NBC was just very nervous about the cost. And so Solo pitched them the idea, if you get, actually pay us for a 90-minute pilot instead of a 60-minute pilot, if it doesn't work out, you show it as a movie of the week and hmm. you recoup some of your money past. And that was enough. Wow. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty smart. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah. There's, so. there's a lot of finagling that went on to get star Trek on the air. There like the, the more you read into it, the more you find that, well, what if we did it this way? <laughs> and everybody goes, Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. <laughs> it is when you look at all the things that, that were in the way it is, it is amazing that it did happen. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's even more amazing that after one pilot's rejected, they order a second pilot. Um, that that's not something you see very often. <laughs> so we get to the opening and, uh, this is a weird opening. <laughs> yeah. Cause you get the four chimes and then you're just waiting for it and it just leaves you hanging. Right. And it's just like, uh, you're not going to say anything. <laughs> Nothing at all. Okay. Somebody should be talking right there. <laughs> space no anybody no, no. Uh, line line actually it would have been even worse if they had just been like space <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> no it's 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 really weird because it's eerily silent uh other than the, the the little bit of music 
and then the the ship starts whooshing back and forth and as we've now discovered from previous episodes the space or the spaceship whooshing back and forth <laughs> has more to do with cost than anything else because they did one scene where they showed the the model flying across the screen and they decided to just keep repeating it and flipping the the negative over because it was super cheap way to do the opening and they were under a rush and it turned out to be the most iconic opening of any sci-fi there is. <laughs> this one though, it's kind of funny because again, you're used to the big yellow letters popping up and this, you get some white letters that look like they're from the Mannix, you know, title sequence oh, coming up. <laughs> right. <laughs> like this week on eight is enough. <laughs> I don't know. It, and it was the, the remastered copy. Uh, we both ended up watching it on, on Paramount. Yes. Um, so they've remastered this and the, the ship has clearly been done with, uh, CGI graphics, uh, because, uh, it, it's, it's slightly animated, but not. And the title sequence is a little too crisp and a little too clear. <laughs> I think the real dead giveaway is the star field. Uh, watching yes. the old episodes non remastered, the star field is clearly dots written on uh, or drawn on <laughs> black cardboard or whatever. And these star fields are like they have depth, they're three dimensional, they're amazing. Now, so, one, yeah, one of the things that they did, they did point out is even in the original version, one of the things that set Star Trek apart was the fact that you did see stars moving. Mm hmm. Um, at different speeds, that was some, that was an effect that for television, really nobody had, of course, at this point, nobody had really done blue screen television. I mean, this was really the first advent of really doing blue screen specifically for television. And if you watch some of these episodes, some of it's pretty impressive. I mean, impressive for a modern college flick, uh, and impressive for a big budget 60s tv show yes yes but still like i mean uh the uh the episode where they have the giant cat staring through the the dungeon door oh yes yes uh, it still is interesting because the 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 uh screen effect is still so vivid so clear and you really are you're not taken out of the moment too 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 much <laughs> You, you know, it's not quite right, but it's still, you still think it's a good effort. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they do something with this. that's kind of neat with the remasters. Uh, they zoom in on the bridge, uh, instead of just doing a, a switch from one screen to the next, they, they zoom in through the bubble and later they'll zoom out through the bubble. And it's a really neat effect. It's something that you don't see very often in star Trek, which I kind of liked. And I thought it did a really good job of kind of setting the um, perspective for the ship as far as like, here's how big the ship is. We're going to zoom in on this little tiny thing on top and there's where all the people are. So at least it gives you some sort of idea of, of the, the, the breadth and the scope of the ship itself. Totally. Totally. And then we get the very first line. The very first line. Check the circuit. <laughs> <laughs> Shouty Spock yelling, right. check the circuit. <laughs> early Spock basically sounded like somebody who left his, it's like your older uncle who left his, uh, uh, hearing aids, you know, in his room when he comes out, you know, everything is just a little bit louder. Um, though I just read recently that Nimoy talked about 
in this pilot, that was a conscious choice he made because he said Jeffrey Hunter's character was playing so low and, and uh, just kind of tight and low. So was Majel Barrett. She was playing kind of a very uh, um, low role, diminished role. Um, And he thought, well, if all three of us are doing this, I mean, this is just going to be a snooze fest that all of us are, you know, nobody's reacting to anybody else. So he took it upon himself to kind of elevate his character a little bit more. Um, And it, it cracks me up because it makes me think of something I heard Garrett Wong speak about uh, Harry Kim from Voyager. One of the frustrations he had on Voyager was the producers were always telling him and uh, the actor who played Tom Paris, you have to play it lower. You have to play it lower because if you play too high, if you play too much energy, the aliens won't come off as realistic. Oh, geez. And so he felt very hamstrung the entire run of Voyager because he was always being told, no, tone it down, tone it down. Listen, if you don't tone it down, you're not getting a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really sad because one of, one of my complaints about Voyager is those guys are just so wishy-washy. <laughs> right? <laughs> they, they needed to be a little more aggressive. That yeah. was always my thing is that it, the, the whole thing about Voyagers, it always felt like it was uh, that, that, mid nineties PC culture of <laughs> like everything has to be happy and mild. Don't worry. Everything will be okay. Ugh. Now I kind of assumed that it was just that when Nimoy put on the ears, the director kept going, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Now, funny thing about the ears, though, is uh, after this pilot was shown to the executives, uh, the studio did, in fact, tell Gene, get rid of the guy with the ears. <laughs> this is weird. Right. And he 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 stuck it up for him and said, look, I need to have an alien on the bridge. That's that's my guy. I got to have somebody there to, to really show that this is, you know, space. <laughs> so I, I've read two accounts on this as well. Um there are people who say the studio basically gave him ultimatum and the ultimatum was you either have a woman on the bridge as your first officer, or you have the, the pointy eared guy, but you can't have both those things. Both of those are too weird. Wow. So you got to make a choice. Now, many people say Runberry just loved the character of Spock so much that he just could not give that up. He really needed that character. However, other sources say the studio was well aware that Majel Barrett was Gene Roddenberry's mistress, and they were afraid of what might happen to an expensive production if your number two actor suddenly decided she didn't like your executive producer anymore and didn't want to work there. So who knows? Well, as it is, we're now going to get our first look at the bridge. The the actual Enterprise bridge is the first time ever. (sighs) And it is uh, and the, Oh yeah, it is all gray. Um, <laughs> view screen's real tiny. Uh, it, it, the view screen really, it, it looks like somebody was like, well, there's, there's no way that screens could ever be that big. I mean, look at the size of my TV. It's never going to be that big. I, I swear my laptop screen's bigger than this, this view screen is. It's going to top out at 38 inches and that's going to be it, baby. Right? And nobody's ever going to need more than 640K. Uh, 
So uh, <laughs> the funny thing about this screen too is that it just keeps rippling. <laughs> you hear the 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 ping the 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 you know it's it's Roddenberry so it's got to be a submarine so we hear the <laughs> ping of the sensors and the screen just keeps going. I keep on thinking of the old CRT uh, computer monitors with the refresh button in the back. You know, oh <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's, like, it's like oh it's just still just still slightly off. Bing. <laughs> uh, so then all of a sudden the sensor alarms start going off, and it's like the most annoying thing ever. Oh, good Lord. I would beat somebody if I had to hear this more than 10 seconds. Seriously. It was, it, it wasn't like a red alert normally on the other shows where it's like, ah, danger, danger. This was like, I'm sad and it hurts. (laughs) 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 It's like they should have been playing the cure in the background. We're going too fast. <laughs> oh, there's something out there. <laughs> but I do like here's this the is thing the about this, though, is that the, the the dialogue that goes with this, I have no idea what's going on. Okay. I have no idea what they saw. <laughs> here's the best that I can get it. I had to watch that sequence three times to try to figure out what the heck is going on because they keep on talking something's out there. Should we avoid it? No, just keep on running into it. Okay, here's the here's the only thing I can figure out. At this point, they cannot tell the difference between a radio wave and an asteroid. Yep. Which is <laughs> surprisingly accurate for space. <laughs> There's definitely something out there. I don't know what it is. Um, and, and Bike is just like, we're just going to plow into it. We'll figure out what it is when we plow into it. Right? Also, I like that the helmsman really, he, he didn't look like he was sure the camera was on him. <laughs> <laughs> and he just kept like staring off into space and then he would look down and then he'd look up <laughs> and then he'd look down and he'd look up and you're like, is anybody going to say anything? <laughs> nope. We're all going to stare in one direction while some nasty noise is whining in the background. And then every once in a while we're going to go, is it, is it still out there? Yes, it's still out there. And then everybody goes silent again. <laughs> I, I think the director needed to tell the actors, you can hit the buttons. Nothing's going to happen because they all look like they're afraid to touch the console. Right? <laughs> I also like that somebody threw out the, the phrase light speed in there. And it's really not clear if he was saying they were going light speed or the thing was going light speed or <laughs> what that meant. Right? <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's Star Trek. Everything they say is crap anyway. We get it. But this this whole thing was just so weird. And and during the entire thing, Chris Pike looks so high. It looks like the thought in his brain is, man, I should not have blazed up before I came to work because I didn't think anything was going to happen. I thought we were just going to Vega Colony. I was going to mellow out the entire time. And instead, (laughs) oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. Dude, it was so awesome. movers? Uh, I, I don't know. Just keep going. Right. Uh, we're we're going to be going into time warp. What? <laughs> what? What is that? I, so I, I accept that, that language evolves over the course of a TV show, but I did not know. I have to be honest. I did not know that warp factor was because the first pilot, they said time warp. <laughs> Whoa. 
Which, I mean, it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. I mean, if you're going to go near or faster than the speed of light, then you're going to start talking about differences in time. But they never really touch on that ever again in this show. Yeah, I mean, unless you're going to slingshot around the sun, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone does that. That's easy. Right? I can't believe we're not doing it right now. <laughs> I do love on this bridge all the Ikea gooseneck lamps, too. It just gives it a whole feel, you know? Well, you know, they haven't figured out bionic eyes yet, but nobody's allowed to wear glasses. <laughs> and it's 60s TV. Everybody on the bridge is like 40. <laughs> yeah, this was kind of, it is amazing that we got the diversity we did in the second pilot because of the first pilot. It's uh, two girls and a bunch of old white men. <laughs> right? I mean... Yeah. <laughs> 60 change. A, let's be honest. That doesn't change a whole lot moving forward. <laughs> you make a good point. <laughs> All right. So uh, you wanted to take a look at the uniforms, huh? Because. Uh, yeah. Just I mean, these are the old. We'll see these again. in um, and where no man has gone before the, these are the old uh, uh, velour uniforms, which just look hotter than all get out. Right. Um, and you know that the, the lights that they were under had to be ridiculous because oh, they were yes. all like crazy huge spots and they're all incandescent. It's just, it's no wonder DeForest Kelly always looked like he was melting. <laughs> now, one thing we're going to notice though, we see golds and we see blues. We don't see any reds. Yep. Also, um, they were all supposed to be wearing uh, single gold braids. So that there was no rank or, insi- or no insignia for rank. Oh uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, apparently, the the whole giving them military ranks didn't come until later, and that was because uh, the studio once again wanted it to be clear that they had rank. And so, but before that, uh, the idea was we're going to just abolish that whole thing because they're in the future. It it seems like from the things that I've read that. Roddenberry, his entire life, really fought against the militarization character characterization of the military characterization of Starfleet. Yeah, and everybody else involved with Star Trek were do, was doing the exact same. Well, and that's that's the thing. Everybody else involved the exact with Star opposite. Trek. They yeah. they were they were all like, "No, we have to do this. This is this yeah. is what makes sense." And he's like, like, "No, we can't." How, how can we shoot at everybody if we're not the military? <laughs> Roddenberry's like, well, maybe don't shoot. And they're like, no, 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 no. But the space battles, those are fun. We want to shoot. No, I, I, I've read a couple of times his reaction to the uniforms in, um, that were made for wrath of Khan. He almost lost it. Oh, wow. Cause they, huh. he, he felt it completely. It was just way. And I mean, Nicholas Meyer was very open about what he was doing. No, Horatio a hornblower in space. This is, you know, right. This is military. Um, so they, so we, we pan around the room, uh, the helmsman's wearing an ACE bandage. <laughs> um, now I, I will give them credit where it's due. The helmsman's wearing an ACE bandage and it actually does come up in conversation after this point. Yes. As to why he's doing that. But I have to, that first scene, I was like, okay, did nobody notice that? <laughs> <laughs> And the reason it happens is because just as Star Tar- the Starfleet will do throughout our entire witnessing of the Chronicles of Starfleet, hey, you know what? There's a dangerous situation. 
let's take the top five people of the ship. Yep. Of course. And how do we start that off? The only way we know how. Distress call. <laughs> Yay. Many good Star Trek start with a distress call. Right. Uh, it calls them to the Talos star group. <laughs> where we get a great sequence of Spock using his connect to go through his, uh, his screens to show everybody oh. how smart he is. Okay. First off, there's, there's so much that's great about this, right? So <laughs> we have a shot of Leonard Nimoy looking off screen. He has a screen in front of him. He's not looking at it. He's looking off screen, <laughs> clearly reading a cue card and he's shouting off screen. <laughs> This is the Talos star group. <laughs> and then he moves his finger and the screen changes, which, you know, that's pretty cool for the time. Uh, <laughs> but I love that all the, the, the screens are just pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but like clearly photographs. <laughs> photographs of documents. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. This is the time when everything on the bridge of the enterprise kind of looked like it was on microfish. <laughs> and at one point there, one of the guys on the bridge in this episode does say, I'm going to check the tapes and microfilm. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We'll meet at the library later, Bob. <laughs> Right. We're going to be very quiet though. <laughs> Except Spock. Spock's not allowed to go in there. <laughs> He's too loud. Where's the microfish? <laughs> dude, dude, just tone it down just slightly. Right. And of course, Spock looks at one of the photographs of, you know, stars and goes, well, clearly this is an M class planet. So it's an oxygen atmosphere. <laughs> and many, even more better episodes of Star Trek start with distress calls from M class planets. That's right. Cause then we don't have to wear helmets. <laughs> Cost savings. There we go. <laughs> so they think there might be survivors on this M class planet. It's a possibility. <laughs> Spock seems to think so. <laughs> and I love that Pike is like, well, that's, that's very interesting. Um, no, <laughs> we're leaving. <laughs> Roll credits. Listen, we, we got beat up on Rigel seven, which Rigel seven comes up a lot in Star Trek. I, I really oh. need to do a, like a deep dive into Rigel seven alone, but, right. um, <clears throat> but he says, no, we're beat up. We don't know if anybody's out there and, Okay, to his credit, if they survived 18 years, they're probably going to survive another three months. You know, when it's we get true. back there. It's true. Uh, I, I do have to point out that every time anybody says Rigel 7, in my head I hear Risa, and I think, that's a weird place to have a battle. <laughs> but anyway. Um, I, yeah, it is weird to see the captain's first impression be, well, my guys are hurt, so I'm out. And... It, it it definitely is is antithetical to to just about every other captain we've seen where they're like you know we're about to explode so we're going to stop and you know fix a diplomatic situation. If this and, is an accurate representation of Christopher Christopher Pike at this time, all I can say is he mellows a lot after he finds out how he's going to die. Either that or Anson Mount just sucks at being Pike. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. Anson Mount is awesome. <laughs> Do like hands and mouth. <laughs> anyway, so um, when the the two were, when he gets up and walks out of the room after saying no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> he walks past. He, he's got his one his yeoman standing next to him with the clipboard, and he's got a security guy at the door. I, I guess he's security. 
he stands there the whole time for no reason. <laughs> and he gets up and walks past and the two of them share this look of like, dude, did you hear that crap? Like, yeah. <laughs> and it was so good. Like that's exactly what, what junior officers would totally be doing is the captain walked by saying crap like that. It was if they great. kept the scene going. The guy's like, see, and that's why you don't let captains go down on away teams. That that's exactly <laughs> that crap right, right there. there. Exactly. We're all paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> and so the next scene that we show down a hallway and we zoom in on the, the backside of a girl in a tennis skirt. And a guy in shorts is, <laughs> is just, it's kind of as if the shortcut to the country club is somehow through the enterprise hallway. <laughs> Seriously. I think and they just went exactly some... through the hallway that will later be used for fl- front flips in Charlie X. Oh really? Is that the same hallway? That's the front flip hallway. Oh man. <laughs> didn't even pick that up. I I did love the shape of this hallway. This is before we got any of the iconic enterprise hallways. Uh, this is just some crazy huge archway, which now I totally want to watch like all the B movies from the, the 50, or from the fifties and sixties and see if I can find it. Um, but these two people are walking down the hallway through this very narrow archway and Pike has to like lean to get around them. <laughs> and not only is it weird to see two extras from beach blanket bingo walking down the hallway, <laughs> but nobody thought that maybe we might want to have this, this one scene that we're shooting right now, maybe only send <laughs> one person down the hallway so that our main actor doesn't have to move around them to get through the hallway. <laughs> no, screw that. We're going to make this awkward, weird, oh. and a lot more like real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one I have to say is like, okay, I'm, this is something they should have kept around for more Star Trek. Just random people walking around in beach gear. <laughs> right. Not say anything about it. Well, I think the next gen guys, once the holodeck was introduced, the next gen guys were like, Oh, we're going back to the beach, baby. <laughs> oh Yeah. We're going to put people in revolutionary war uniforms. We're going to dress them like Sherlock Holmes. Like we're going everywhere. And then Voyager was like, oh yeah, hold my beer. (laughs) You imagine old Starfleet captains. I, I, I remember starships before they had a costume section. That's (laughs) yeah. That's the sort of starship I was on. Right. Nah, Kirk ship totally had a costume room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not where you think it was. <laughs> so we, we get a, a view of Pike's cabin. Um, and Pike walks in and <laughs> listen, if your communicator doesn't take two full hands to operate slowly and deliberately, what are we even doing here? He picks this thing up and it's like a microwave. <laughs> And he has to like slowly lift the flap because it, it is exactly what Kirk carries. Only it's like three times bigger. <laughs> I loved it. It was so great. And so he makes a quick phone call and then he goes and flops on the bed, which is clearly stolen couch cushions. <laughs> okay. And we look at, we look at this cabin and all I can say is again, after he learns he's going to die, he knocks out an entire wall. Because he's just like, you know what? 
This deck these, is mine. These three <laughs> cabins are now my cabin. <laughs> I'm going to put a fireplace in here. Seriously. <laughs> what are you going to do? Kill me? Right? <laughs> so then Dr. What's his name? Boyers? Boyce. Dr. Boyce walks in. And I'm not really sure why he's there. Because <laughs> he walks in with a bar set. And he's like, I'm, I'm here to, for your checkup. And he's like, uh, I'm, I'm fine. And he's like, oh yeah. And gives him a, a martini in a beaker <laughs> with ice in it. Who wants a warm martini? Which I had to wow. ask you on that. It's like, wait, do people put ice in martinis? Nope. <laughs> you shake ice in a martini and then you pour it out of the ice. I love the fact that he he brought in a bar set that looks like one of the ones you and I used to sell sell at the mall. Yeah, yeah, it, it was very similar to those. Although <laughs> the box he's got, I'm pretty sure I actually have a I have one. It's uh, I got it from my grandfather. It it came with his team's bowling shirts in them. Oh, that is awesome! And it's it's actually got, it's got a little screen print on the front. It says bowling shirts. It's it's pretty cool. Anyway. Uh, so they have a drink and they discuss manly stuff. And then we go to Rigel seven and Pike is really upset because people died on Rigel seven. And yeah, he says something here really key. And I want to do a callback here because he mentions that he's tired of being in charge of 203 lives. Now we know Jim Kirk on the same ship was in charge of 430 lives. So I'm going to bring up the fact again. We didn't see any red shirts at all on this ship. It is true. He went there, through his entire complement of red shirts. Absolutely. That's the only ones he sent down to Rigel. He was like, hey, <laughs> if you're wearing red, get on the transporters. That's why they're going to Vega. They're going to Vega to replenish their supply of red exactly. shirts. <laughs> because that's why he didn't want to do anything dangerous. I'm not going to Talos. I don't have anybody expendable people to send down there. That's a very good point. I haven't thought about it. <laughs> now, if I if I was going to actually write for Star Trek, I would actually say, well, no, this was a smaller crew because this is actually happening during the Klingon War that we know of from Discovery. And so resources were scant and there weren't as many people on this ship, which was still doing an exploratory mission because they needed them for the Klingon War. But I'd rather go with the thing of, no, he used up all his red shirts. <laughs> now, something else about the crew. Uh, when I saw um, Ronberry speak, he talked about one of the big objections NBC had was not only to having a first officer be female, but the fact that there were any females on the ship at all. They were like, no, this is a, like a, this looks very militaristic. It wouldn't make sense that women are on the ship. Roddenberry says he countered <sighs> with, so what assumption do you think the audience is going to make about the 203 men on a ship together for five years? Oh, there's an argument that'll curl their toes. Okay. You can go 25, 30% tops women. (laughs) (laughs) To their credit. I do like this scene. I like the fact that, Pike clearly has anxiety about the fact that he's been in a real world military situation. He's had to deal with losing people. He's had to deal with being in a conflict and now he's immediately thrown back into something and he's scared. 
And they do a really good job of, of getting to the human aspect of this, of, of the captain has to deal with that amount of responsibility. And I thought that yes. was really cool. Yes. It's and one of those things. Voicing his, frankly, uh, his guilt at making the wrong decision. You know, I should have known yeah. I, everything was up there. I should have known. And I didn't. Well, and on top of everything else, I think that when we get to the Kirk years, uh, they do a terrible job of doing that with Kirk up until really the movies. Uh, he, he just didn't really acknowledge the, the human aspect of I'm worried about my crew and I have to go jump into this again. (laughs) No, for him, it was always, I'm going to jump into this again. (laughs) Right. And these, these, uh, cannon fodder behind me, they're going to do that. (laughs) Cause I am just that cool. Right. (laughs) Ah, well, um, so they, they talk about his, his, uh, desire to retire and that he wants to go to Idaho. Um, cause why not? Yeah. Uh, he's, Kirk he's got an uncle who lived in Idaho, which I always thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, and of course, like you said, he's a horse guy because captains like horses There's something about it. All the captains like horses. I wonder if Janeway liked horses anyway. Um, and then the doctor mentions, going to Orion or no, the, sorry, the captain mentions going to Orion and becoming a <laughs> traitor. And the doctor is like, well, you know, that means slave girls, right? <laughs> so, like, so that's, it's either Pike just saying, I'm going to throw it all away. Or Dr. Boyce is a rampant racist because, you know, Orion's do more than just sell slave girls, dude. Okay. Actually, what he said was, they traffic in green animal women slaves. What the hell was that? <laughs> That's got Gene Roddenberry's name written all over. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so then Spock calls. <laughs> and basically tells him, yeah, there were survivors. I was right. Bye. Yeah. And he just hangs up. <laughs> he doesn't even say goodbye. He just hangs up. He's American. <laughs> I just, uh, there's no uh, way for me to do it. That's the closest thing I could do to a mic drop in today's age. Right. <laughs> Hi there. You were wrong. Click. <laughs> so we have to flash back to the bridge where they're doing something very interesting. Watching a printout. <laughs> Seriously. I can't believe that the executives actually let them do another pilot after this. <laughs> there's some scenes where you're like, really? You're going to watch a piece of paper come out of a slot for a minute. Oh, I, I'm just thankful that they cut out the 20 preceding minutes of them trying to get the freaking thing to work. <laughs> okay. Wait, now turn wait, the blue. Says, wait, can you do it from your communicator? Oh, it's not working. It's it says li- I'm connected to bridge printer 20. Is that the right one? I don't, I don't know which one it is. <laughs> wait, did, did that just print out in sick bay? <laughs> damn, shoot. Damn it. <laughs> So it turns out there's people on Talos. Um, and then they say a really great line. There's food and water is obtainable, but unless I, what, (laughs) but unless (laughs) sometimes I, I watch shows like this and I'm like, language can't have migrated or, or, uh, mutated that much since the (laughs) sixties. There, there's some statements they make where I'm like, what did you just say? That's not even English. 
that's an actor who's really thankful for his job. You know what? That made no sense, but I'm not bringing it up. Right. <laughs> he just stared right at the script supervisor. Like, yeah, I said it. <laughs> um, I want to know what they do with all the printouts. Cause I didn't see a single trash can. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been great if they would have continued with this particular one. Every week there would just be like a few pieces of paper, you know, like, Right. Whifting around the edge of the bridge. <laughs> Every time they come back from commercial, you just see a, a scene like tumbleweeds of printer paper going down the hallway. <laughs> so they, they decide they're going to get to Talos real fast. So they, they decide to use time warp seven. Okay. Now warp seven at this time, that's, that's still, that's pretty fast for a Federation ship. Uh, it's not as fast because they do a time warp. So they get there slower. I don't know. it's the second time so technically they did the time warp again (laughs) sorry you had to you had to squeeze it in there there was no way you were not squeezing that in there right um but then the captain is like yeah that's a good idea and he confirms it by telling him to Engage. <laughs> oh yeah. Once again, this is before he finds out that he's going to die, where he becomes more cool, and then he says, Hit it. Yeah, I, I have to admit, after seeing this scene, I was like, Well, wait a minute. Why didn't they let Anson Mount say engage? Because that actually would have been the most factually correct of the entire show. And <laughs> oh, they were like, Ah, Picard said that. We're not gonna do that. <laughs> I, I was gonna say Patrick Stewart kind of made it iconic. Between totally. engage and make it so, yeah. It kind of makes me wonder, though, if like the guy who wrote the script for the first episode of TNG got it from this and was like, well, that's what Pike said, so I'll do it on this pilot. Uh, it was largely written by uh, Roddenberry and, uh, and Dorothy Fontana, so very good chance that. Oh, that there you did. go. Ooh, Roddenberry's the one who wanted engage. That's the whole thing. Anyway. He was, he was, he was digging that stuff up. See? Right. Because he couldn't get Shatner to say it. <laughs> Shatner's like, I don't, say, I don't understand. I'm not doing that. Why would I do that? <laughs> I can't believe you want me to do that. So their warp sequence was super weird, but I like it. It was very 60s television. <laughs> I really yeah. like the fact that when they go into warp, they really crank the music up. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> everybody knows you need a good driving song. <laughs> I, I assume it was to drown out the uh, cries of terror of the other people who worked on the bridge that were going through the same experience. What's going on? Why are the stars floating through me? Uh, the uh, It was the, the cheap Starfield effect over top of the fact that they couldn't afford anything cool. <laughs> So one thing about this though, that, that it reminded me a little of the, uh, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, Galactica, because in the pilot for the reboot, the pilot for the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, they say, Hey, we're going to jump. And they make this a big deal about getting this blue key out. And we're going to make all these calculations and everybody's really, yep. really, really nervous about this. And by the third episode of the series, it's just like running a jump. Bang. Oh yeah, they're doing it like every thirty seconds and in, in, towards the end of the show. But <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. Star Trek, it was you know kind of like we're going into warp, and everyone's like, "Yeah, this is gonna be awesome." And by the time Kirk gets around, it was like, oh, "Warp over there! Now warp over there! Now let's warp over there!" 
Well, and it, it is kind of interesting. They get they're like, you know, call the engine room, let them know we want to use it and blah, blah, blah. And then every once in a while, Kirk would be like, Scotty, get yourself ready. We got to do this thing. We're going to go real fast. And then you get to TNG and Picard's like, yeah, Jordy's got this. I'm just going to go. And <laughs> But then on some of the new, uh, the new shows on uh, Strange New Worlds and Picard, they're doing it again. They're like, call the engine room. Let them know we need to go to warp. So with Let's Scotty, here's my theory. Scotty's one of those guys who that, I mean, if he lived today, he would have a V8 on an engine stand in his living room and, and be overhauling that thing while he watches TV and his wife would hate him for it. Yes, absolutely. And he, his car would be up on blocks all the time. Yeah. So I imagine that Kirk basically had to call down there a lot. It's like, can you put the thing back together? Cause we need to go someplace right now. That's or true. Stop. Don't just stop what you're doing. Cause we actually need the engine at the moment. <laughs> captain i can get four more horsepower (laughs) no scotty i told you stop it we could put a charger on the whole thing it'd go so much faster and be so loud it's a new technology it's called turbocharger (laughs) i'm gonna paint a b on the outside it'll be great you know the two pipes on the back that's my idea (laughs) <laughs> Those Klingons did us a favor. They punched a bunch of speed holes. <laughs> I can't believe we have made Scotty's accent even worse. <laughs> All right. So the a yeoman shows up and she's, you know, like 15. And <laughs> she shows up and is starts talking to the captain immediately. And she's, she's got her little clipboard and stuff. Um, she's played by Laurel Goodwin. Uh, she's kind of an interesting person in this. Uh, all right. So she's actually in her 20 or actually she might be 30 in this scene. I think she actually is 30, uh, but she looks really young. Uh, she's um, Laurel Goodwin was actually born as Carolyn J. Schoenberger. Uh, but she decided to use a, sh- a stage name. Can't imagine why. Um, <laughs> and she took the name from her first role playing Laurel Dodge in the Elvis movie, Girls, Girls, Girls. That's which, where I recognize her from. Yeah. Oh, she wasn't 30. She was 22 or 23 during this. Um, yeah. So, and, and she actually had a starring role in that. I, I was really kind of surprised that looking at her career, that didn't really do a whole lot for her. Uh, the rest of her career was, was, you know, guest spots on TV. It was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, now, interesting thing about her in the Star Trek universe, though, she never got a chance to do any conventions until 2005. And she finally went to a convention or to her, to her first convention and got to do a panel and everything. And up until 2022, when she sadly passed away, she was actually the last surviving cast member from this episode. Oh, wow. It's just kind of crazy. But anyway, so yeah, she but- shows up and talks to the captain and he's like, Oh, can't <laughs> believe there's women on the bridge. <laughs> and he yells at her <laughs> and he just like, he, what are you doing? She's like, I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. And he's like, Oh yeah. And he looks over his shoulder, like women. <laughs> I, I just think the, 
the whole thing, even at this point, it, it is somewhat striking just the big problem they're having with, you know, women on the bridge. It's like, wow, this is, uh, <clears throat> I, I can tell you that, uh, Major Barrett really nailed the looking daggers at the captain. <laughs> of like, you can't get used to women here, huh? Really? And he's like, Oh, I, I don't think of you as a woman. Yeah, that's what she wants to hear. And then he refers to her as lieutenant. Wait a second. She's the first officer of the ship and she's a lieutenant? Oh, well, wait a second. I'm guessing the last first officer was probably a red shirt and he's out of red shirts. There you go. Okay. He went through them all. He's down to a lieutenant. So this is actually what we're seeing here is the promotion of uh, of number one up Ooh. to her, her role as is, number one. I wonder what he called her before he Is Rebecca Romaine a... Uh, is she a lieutenant on Strange New Worlds? Uh, I don't believe so. I believe she's at least she's lieutenant a lieutenant commander. I'm going to have to look that up, though. Yeah, I'm I'm curious now. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so they finally get to Talos. Uh, and they print out some more paper. And <laughs> Spock's great, man. He jumps in and grabs a piece of paper. And he's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh. Look at mine. Look at mine. I, a little, I, drew, I did a little graphic here. Right. <laughs> so the guy's like, well, sir, I've scanned the atmosphere and there's little rounded metal bits floating around <laughs> that indicate a ship has been destroyed. I just love that technical term rounded metal bits. <laughs> it's called ball bearings, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, they decide they're going to just, clear the bridge everybody leaves because <laughs> <laughs> it's star trek hey everybody who's, who's important in the head of any department so i'm guessing this is the only way that they that starfleet incentivizes people to become the heads of departments is like well if you don't you're just gonna end up one of those people who dies on an away team if you get to go at all if you want the head of departments you get to go on away teams and live and that's why barkley was like no i don't really need the promotion <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to stay here and play with the holodeck. I'm good. I'm, I'm quite fun. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Number one looks at everybody leaving. Like seriously, <laughs> it's just I'm me. Not, I'll take care of everything. I'll make sure dinner's cooked by the time you guys get back. Right? <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, so they get to the transporter and they walk just in the room. <laughs> Which is either the contacts are either dirty on this thing or the transporter room is right next to the HVAC system. Cause man, it is loud. <laughs> they walk in the room and Spock's like, don't worry. I got this. I know how to talk to here. <laughs> you don't think I'm too loud now, do you? <laughs> now the transporter, of course, the transporter effects is one of the iconic things about Star Trek and was originally, as many people know, was a cost cutting measure because it's way easier to have people stand in front of a camera than not stand in front of a camera than it is to try to land the model of a ship. Um, this is one of the effects though, that they made sure and got into the first cut that they showed NBC because they were sure this effect would really sell, um, the story and the, and the uh, uh, technical aspect of it. And they were very correct on that because again, when we did the man trap, one of the things we mentioned was that episode was chosen as an opener because it opens immediately with the 
transporter effect. And NBC felt if people see that, they're going to, they're going to buy in uh, because mm-hmm. NBC basically did. Yeah. Um, and it, they totally stole the effect too. Uh, they stole it from uh, the outer limits, which as we go through this, we will find out they stole a ton of stuff. From <laughs> um, so they're, they're going to transport down to the planet. And when they transport down to the planet, they, we see the transporter beam effect. I have to take something back. I said that in all Star Trek, the way that you transport somebody is you move three sliders up the board and <laughs> they transport. These guys did not have sliders. <laughs> Everything was buttons. So I take it back. I really um, like the, the two man operation too. the, uh, right. the, the older white guy pushes a few buttons then. uh, throws his finger at the, the other dude, the other dude pushes a few buttons, you know, throws back to him. It's, it's quite the operation. There is a little bit of a gaff here. Uh, they show the two guys, then they turn away and show and go back. And one of the guys had glasses on before and doesn't when he goes back. <laughs> um, the other thing is they, so they do the transporter effect. They go down to the planet and the sound that's playing is super weird. And, when the transporter sound stops, you start hearing this other sound that is the singing plants that they're going to go look at in a minute. (laughs) That's actually the sound of the transporters that's used throughout the rest of the series (laughs) is the sound of those plants. Cause I, I was watching the episode before I read about that and I was watching it and they did the transporter thing and I was like, Oh, that's gross. That's a terrible sound. And then it stopped and I was like, Hey, that's the actual transporter. (laughs) And I read about it and sure enough, that's exactly what it was. Which is a sound that my brother once replicated by, uh, by rubbing an empty beer bottle against his electric <laughs> guitar strings and got that exact sound. I mean, that's, that's exactly how they did it. I'm sure. <laughs> um, the, the other thing about the transporter room that I thought was interesting is that that humming sound that was in there, I think it's really cool that it gets across the point that we're using a lot of power for this yes. thing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that really came across in a lot of episodes and this one really gets that across that like, you feel like you just walked around a a giant generator of sorts and it's real crazy. You're wondering how long you should stand next to this thing, right? Don't stand so (laughs) close to me. I did also like that. One of the guys was carrying a gigantic backpack and they all had their away mission jackets. (laughs) The backpack, I, I couldn't help but think it's like, well, he tells him he's going to beam him down a little ways away from the, uh, from the survivors. So the one guy was just like, well, I, I'm packing a lunch. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> if there's a walk involved, I, I'm not, I'm not doing it on the piece of stomach. <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, they see one of these singing plants and it's these little blue petals or blue leaves and they go up and immediately touch it. Because, you know, when a plant's making noise, that's what I'm going to do is run up and go, hmm, what happens if I touch it? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and as soon as they grab it, it, it's, it hums in a different way. And Spock looks at it and gets a big old grin on his face. <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah, I do love the idea of just touching it. Because when has anybody ever been harmed just by reaching out and touching a plant? Yeah, right? Never. <laughs> Uh, nobody's using tricorders. I love this. No one has a tricorder. Everyone has a gun. <laughs> uh, those, guns are, mission. those guns are actually pretty cool. Um, they get used in like five different episodes of star Trek. 
Um, they have, uh, uh, twist and pull barrels on them that are supposed to adjust the, uh, the power, uh, later in other episodes, they're going to add some gears to the back that I guess are adjustment gears or something. And they repaint them a couple times, but they're just really neat. I, I did a little bit of a deep dive on them cause I thought they were super cool and I wanted to see if they stole them from another show. They actually made them for this show. Uh, but there was a real big back and forth about whether or not they were going to be called laser pistols or laser guns or what have you. Cause Gene really, really wanted laser guns and the, um, their science guy that was doing all of their, their, uh, uh, science advisement on the show was like, um, that's not how lasers work. And Gene was like, Oh, what if we call them? phasers <laughs> and he was like well that's not a thing so sure go for it <laughs> <Knock yourself out. laughs> and that's how we got phasers which is actually a pretty cool word for a weapon right <laughs> um so then they go and they meet the survivors okay oh, no, i love when they meet the survivors because the one old dude looks at them and he goes they're men and yeah, <laughs> that line sounded real thirsty. I can tell you. Oh, my. <laughs> and then we get into some problem, problematic continuity problems. Cause these guys have been down here 18 years and they start telling them, Oh, Hey, the time barrier has been broken and we can do all these things. Like, uh, yeah, that happened like over 80 years ago. I, I don't know why you're telling us this now. <laughs> And, and again, that's, that's going warp speed, right? <laughs> that's so what I'm assuming. The time barrier was broken. I think oh. just means they went warp one. I don't know if that's true or not. Cause. And okay. that's, that's what I assumed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, it, it, it seems very odd that they're just telling these guys, well, yeah, okay, but what happened like the last 20 years, dude? Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so weird. We're all familiar with Jonathan Archer. Thank you very much. Could, could you tell us, you know, who won the World Series last year, maybe? Right. Now, the well, ship and- that crashed was the Columbia also. Just want to bring up, because just mentioned Jonathan mm. Archer. Which That's an unfortunate coincidence. The second... Um, starship Starfleet ever produces after the enterprise is the Columbia. However, I <laughs> doubt if this is the same ship. I think Columbia is just a real popular name to name ships. I mean, we have one, so, or had totally one. makes sense. Right. Um, so then the young girl walks to the front and all the old guys are like, Hey, uh, have you met her? Uh, <laughs> she's, uh, playing Vina, uh, who is played by Susan Oliver. Uh, she had about 128 different TV and movie roles. Uh, she did a ton of stage acting way more than that. Um, she is, uh, the first green Orion slave girl. Uh, if you look at the credit or the ending credits of, of, uh, Star Trek, the original series, you will see an Orion slave girl there. That's her. She's in every one of those. Um, Interesting thing about her is she was an avid private pilot and eventually got her commercial pilot license. Uh, and in the middle of her acting career, she got into a, uh, uh, not a plane crash, but a, a severe turbulence change in, uh, uh, height. And when she did, it scared her so bad that she was afraid to fly. 
And a little while later is when she decided to get her pilot's license just so she could beat the fear of flying. Oh, she wow. got so into it that she decided she was going to be one of the first people to try to fly nonstop or the first women to fly nonstop from New York to Moscow. Unfortunately, when she got to Denmark, the Soviet Union told or she was informed that the Soviet Union would not let her enter their airspace and go to Moscow. And so she was unable to finish her flight. But uh, she did fly straight through from New York to Denmark. So, I mean, that's, that that's is really, really impressive. Cool. Yeah, she was. She's an interesting story. I highly advise sitting down and reading a little bit about Susan Oliver. She's pretty cool. So the anyway. thing about her character, however, is a bit problematic because when she comes out, Pike's eyes are all over her. Now, this wouldn't be a problem except for how old do you think Christopher Pike is in this particular instance? Uh, I'd say the character's probably supposed to be about 40. Okay. When Vina comes out, the old scientist mentions, oh, this is Vina. She was on our ship. She was born almost as we crashed, which means at the very most, she's 19. Yeah. And Chris Pike cannot get his eyes off of her. It's but 19 is fully adult, fully sexually realized in 1960s TV culture. <laughs> you can be 75 years old and that's fair game because <laughs> for some reason that was okay. She's 19 and she knows almost absolutely nothing. Awesome. <laughs> right? Gross. Yeah. And we know it's gross because we zoom out through the TV of the big head aliens. We're for some reason watching it on a Flintstones flat flat rock TV, which is just bizarre. Yeah, it did feel very Flintstoney. <laughs> this actually sets the tone for Star Trek from then until forever. <laughs> a hyper advanced civilization lives in a crappy rock pile in the middle of a barren planet. And has no comforts of home whatsoever because they're so incredibly advanced. It always has amazed me how many planets we find throughout the galaxy that have a crust made up largely of paper mache. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so originally these were supposed to be super expensive crabby creatures. And um, that just was not cost effective. No. But it does... It sets the the tone, right? Um, <laughs> all Star Trek uh, baddies, or not baddies, all Star Trek aliens are going to be bipedal humans wearing a mask kind of aliens. <laughs> Do something to their head and make it cheap. Right? Have you considered shoelaces? <laughs> <laughs> My God, um, that could actually work. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the, the aliens in this case are all played by females, um, despite the fact that they're, we don't know what gender they're supposed to be, but they wanted, they wanted, um, small thin women so that basically the head makeup would look even more pronounced, um, than, than it would on a full size male. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, if you're trying to, uh, or blah, if you're trying to show a race that has basically concentrated all their energy into brain power instead of physical stature, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then we switch back to Vina doing her flirting. Um, <laughs> you seem to be a prime specimen. Right. <laughs> right about Gross. that time you're thinking, it's like, yeah, I don't need a wingman. Whoa. Yeah. Right. 
Um, <laughs> and she has some real, I have to give Susan Oliver really pulled off some crazy eye on this one. <laughs> cause, cause I could say gets a little scary there. That's <laughs> right. And then everybody's like, Oh, you guys are so healthy. How, how are you so healthy? Uh, uh, there's a reason. Um, we should we can't tell, tell you a secret. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Last time somebody talked to me this way, I got stuck in a room where they tried to get me to sell sell vitamins in a multi-level marketing scheme. That was when we worked at the mall. <laughs> I know, because the same guy called me. <laughs> he took me to lunch. Anyway. Yeah. So the girl suddenly disappears. And then all the guys disappear. And everybody's like, wait, wh- what? What just happened? <laughs> And then a couple of aliens pop out of the ground and basically mug Christopher Pike by aromatherapy and his brains out or something. <laughs> okay. That was kind of a cool effect though. Cause it was like a stick that shot out this little orange smoke, but the way they did it is they did a green screen on it. So it looked like a ray that contained the smoke. It was kind of ah, neat actually. Okay. Nice. Anyway. So they do that. He passes out. They stick him in the slowest elevator <laughs> ever. And uh, yeah, they, they go downstairs. Um, <laughs> the crew sees this happening and they all start shooting like crazy at the door. Because um, when something happens, you shoot at something. Right. I did like that everybody was shooting at it, except for the helmsman was squeezing his phaser like if he squeezed harder, it would shoot more. <laughs> and I mean, he it looked like this guy was going to crush that prop. It was pretty impressive. <laughs> Nobody thought to shoot it at the same time, though. Everyone took their shot at it. Yeah. It was kind of like, don't cross the streams type thing. Oh, let's all take a pot shot at it one at a time. Eh, all right. That didn't work. Exactly. Well, Spock realizes this is stupid. So he decides he's going to call home. And he does <laughs> the iconic communicator flip. He's the first one to do it because he's figured <laughs> out you can use these with one hand. Good it on you, Spock. So cool. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so Pike wakes up and he's unfortunately laying on a little itty bitty bed. <laughs> he's like in one of those like transparent hotel rooms in Japan or something. Yeah, gross. Nobody <laughs> wants to see that. <laughs> he looks down the hall and he sees something that makes total sense. A weird pig gorilla piggerilla <laughs> thing in one room and and the san diego uh, chicken in another one <laughs> uh both these makeups are actually from you guessed it outer limits at least the heads were uh the prosthetic heads for both of them were used in the outer limits before this the uh, full bird costume was actually used in a different episode of the outer limits outside of the other two episodes oh wow uh, but yeah they totally stole those uh, funnily enough, the guy who was in the pig gorilla outfit in this movie or in this show was the one who wore the full bird suit in the outer limits. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, anyway, so the, uh, the, the lead alien shows up in the elevator. I, I um, love, I love her necklace too. Cause it looks like she just got like a fake gem from Michael's. And just put it right in the middle of the uh, hood ornament from her Mercedes and threw it on a chain. And just yeah. <laughs> like, yep, that's right. I stole a car. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. They, they come in and, and 
he's yelling at them through this window and they're talking to him with their brains and, and they're just being snotty. That's look, true. Look how stupid he is. Look at what he's going to do next. <laughs> you know what he's going to do next? Yeah. I'll tell you what he's going to do. He's going to throw himself against that. Then he's going to brag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's all right. I like the, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You can hear my thoughts. Well, I'll bet you don't know I'm going to do this. <laughs> oh, you you did. Oh, well, oh, what if I do this? Oh, you knew about that. Oh, <laughs> See, and I can't help but think of myself in this situation. I was like, well, I can either hear their thoughts or they're, am- they're amazing at throwing their voice. So if we could actually get a shipment of ventriloquist dummies down here, we could put oh, them on a go. tour. We could get enough money to revitalize this entire planet. I like it. Hey, guys, <laughs> I have a business opportunity for you. <laughs> you get 10 more of these big head aliens underneath you and they'll make you rich. Oh, wait, no. It's going to be McCarthyism. Charlie McCarthyism. <laughs> so then they're like, now we'll start the experiment. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Both his face and the music. <laughs> Let you know. Oh, geez. <laughs> so they go back to the briefing room. Spock's doing a slideshow. Woohoo! Spock <laughs> is in command of this room. <laughs> and again, thankfully they left out the scene of the 10 minutes where PowerPoint had to update before he could start. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry guys, my computer shut down. Give me a minute. Hey, can can you guys hear me? Can you can you hear me? Can you hear me now? <laughs> can everyone see this? So, so here, here's the thing. Spock goes into the illusion thing and he immediately goes into they're controlling our brains. Not they've got they've got holodecks or anything like that no it's immediately they're they're messing with our brains well i mean if you think about it it makes a lot of sense they don't have holodecks yet so they're like if they saw a hologram it would be all flickery like star wars (laughs) and they'd be like "Eh, i don't believe this so i'm gonna give it to him that technology is just not there that that's gonna be his first assumption yet even though they're totally gonna go to a lot of hologram planets before the show's over. Um, and then the first they, time I saw a 3d movie, that's immediately what I thought. <gasps> 3d movie. Mind control. Oh my God. Who's controlling my mind. <laughs> so then they, they show a great shot of one of the aliens that's hand drawn. First off, they have somebody on the ship who hand draws images of people. They're like, Oh, we saw an alien. Hey Bill, can you come down here and sketch the aliens? I haven't seen one. I don't care. Just guess. <laughs> I've, I've been on this ship for three years, just waiting to use my police sketch artist <laughs> talents. And finally, finally. <laughs> also, I really like that it had a coy little smile on its face. <laughs> like, Bill, draw what they really look like. Yeah, but I want them to be happy. <laughs> no, Bill, I told you, don't do that. I couldn't help but think of it. You know, he got this from a magazine. It's like, draw this to lotion and send it back to us for a free scholarship <laughs> to an art school. <laughs> Right? You can choose the turtle, the pirate, or the Telosian. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, because of Star Trek, as they're discussing what are we going to do about this, one guy says, well, can't we just blow it up more than we have already? Right? And number one well, goes, uh, no. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe. <laughs> number one goes, yeah, let's, let's do that. <laughs> now the doctor tells everybody, okay, here's the problem. No matter what we do, we don't know if it's going to be successful or not because... These guys are going to just mess with us constantly. Yep. And he's turns out to be the smartest guy on the bridge or on the ship. 
And this is why he leaves the ship before Captain Kirk gets there. You know what? Right. <laughs> Oh, man. Can you imagine if he told Kirk, like, hey, you don't know. You could accidentally kill somebody, and they would make you think it didn't happen. Kirk would be like, and? <laughs> Are you happy on this ship, Doctor? Right? Are you really, really happy? <laughs> You're not quite cranky old man enough for me. I need bones. I do love um, the fact that the uh, the uh, the conference room that they have, nice big conference room, but they had the chairs that actually were the exact same chairs at the uh, lounge at the bowling alley at the Air Force Base near where I grew up. So that was nice. that was nice, you know. <laughs> I've seen those chairs before, probably at another bowling alley. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> The aliens are talking to, to Pike again and they're like, you know, we've, we've probed lots of human thoughts. <laughs> Thousands of us have probed human thoughts, which there's no way for that sentence not to sound creepy. <laughs> what, what if I say it like this? Thousands of us have probed human thoughts. <laughs> and Pike's like, but just my thoughts, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then suddenly Pike gets transported mentally, I guess, back to Rigel seven, which is like, yeah, real nice. Let's find the guy's worst day at work and have him relive that. That'll be fun. Right. Ugh. <laughs> I don't know. And then of course there's a girl there. Cause I'm sure that happened on Rigel seven where there was a girl in a princess dress going, save me, save me. <laughs> Now this is their first attempt to get him to uh, to bond with a female. Let's dress her as a Disney princess, right? But here's the crazy part: this is not the most hackneyed thing they've done in this series. <laughs> They'll do way worse. <laughs> God, I love this show. <laughs> and you, they like pan around this little pseudo castle set, I guess. And when they pan around, I swear to God, it's like somebody went in and grabbed anything they could get their hands on in a prop department and just dumped it all over the place. I think there's like Asian sculptures, there's (laughs) swords and, and shields from a Roman set there. Like there's just stuff all over the place. And I also really liked that every one of the weapons that was on this set looked like it was built by a kindergartner. (laughs) They're fantastic. (laughs) So as they start panning across that, the whole time you're hearing this snarling noise and you're like, whoa, that's going to be some kind of crazy creature. And a door opens and out walks a relatively tall guy with a beard. (laughs) (laughs) Now I am terrified. Right? Like what? (laughs) Oh my God. He's six, five. (laughs) There's something stuck in his throat too. I mean, it just, it's like, now, dude, to their you credit, some in there. You just, you know, to their credit, the scariest thing about this guy is he had terrible teeth. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but yeah, he just walks around and <laughs> the whole time. It's so good. Now we never understand why there was an attack or why they went to Rigel seven or any of that. Also, is this what Rigelians look like? Cause meh. <laughs> Like, this is what they were fighting? His Rigelians <laughs> just walking around growling all the time? Anyway, um, so Pike clearly gets it right off the bat. He's like, um, yeah, sure, guys. This is real. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, 
the big giant guy decides to start attacking him. So he's got to pick up a weapon just to survive. So we get our first, we're in a futuristic society with all these phasers and energy weapons and <laughs> transporters. So let's fight with axes and maces. Like, let's pick up a mace. um now funny thing that happened in this is that the girl starts screaming and she's clearly screaming in terror about this whole fight blah 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 the screams are not her the screams are actually uh uh audio clips from the original king kong in 1933 is that yeah oh man yeah they're fey ray's screams it's kind of cool <laughs> um so the bad guy he's he's fed up with getting beat up so he he goes after the girl <laughs> <laughs> and pike throws a knife hits him in the back and then when the dude is gonna jump on top of him knife looks like it was built by a kindergartner it's got like <laughs> it's like six inches wide at the hilt and it's a square it's real weird anyway i'm always amazed how people on tv are so good at throwing knives yeah it, well, you can't do that I thought everybody could do that. Uh, I I throw all my knives with deadly accuracy. That's I learned it in kindergarten, didn't you? I throw it and just like hit it on the side and bounce off or something. (laughs) Right. When I throw a knife, I make sure to make a really cool noise too. (laughs) I'm all So, so kills the bad guy and everything goes. One more thing, one more thing. I've got tons of stupid behind the scenes crap from this one. Uh, He impales the guy on a big, giant, weird-looking spear, also from the Outer Limits. Just saying. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So at this Um, point, he's largely in an episode of the Outer Limits. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) They were like, hey, guys, um, I think you lost your script. Can we have all your stuff? Hey, it turns I just, out that I just got to borrow a few props, you know, for just right? the day. I'm, I'll bring them back. I just got to borrow just, uh, just a few. Just, no, no, just, Hey, what's that over there? <laughs> uh, it, the fact of the matter is that Gene Roddenberry actually was uh, good buddies with a lot of the production staff over at the outer limits. And so he had a friendly relationship with a lot of them. And uh, a, a lot of their crew members came over and did stuff for star Trek. So they, they had some pretty good access to props and stuff. Oh, that is cool. Uh, so then they go back to the zoo and, uh, they're in the same cage and she's like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> and she really like leans into him until she knows the aliens are there. And then it's like her dad showed up. She's just like, mm, uh, I wasn't doing anything. Right. <laughs> Which is so weird because the aliens clearly want her to be doing stuff. Yes. <laughs> so he's like, well, who are you? And she's like, well, maybe I'm an illusion. <laughs> they took me from your mind. Okay, well, you don't look like Raquel Welch or Diana Riggs. So, no, they didn't take you from my mind. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, well, whatever you want, they can give it to you. And Pike clearly is like, um, <laughs> I do like that. Like, even like he's, he's supposed to be this like lascivious guy in the 60s and like, he can do whatever he wants. He can take the world anytime he feels like it. And he still is, he's very human, very much like, no, this seems real gross. Everything about this seems real gross. <laughs> Where based on, based on the reaction that Jim Kirk had to the Nexus in uh, Star Trek Generations, we have to figure that Jim Kirk probably would have hung out for a week or two before he finally decided, okay, I'm done. Right. 
<laughs> Kirk totally would have been like, no, 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 we can't do anything. Well, I mean, we, we should escape in like 45 <laughs> minutes. I think. <laughs> I can be anything you want. Can you be three women? <laughs> <laughs> so, also, what's the green thing in the corner of his cage? Um, it, it looks like a green waterfall coming down on the wall and then it like ends in a bowl. I'm pretty sure this is the only Star Trek toilet. I, I'm just saying, I think it really is. It's amazing where there is just some holes in these guys' technology, you know? <laughs> like, we can do anything you want. However, you must pee in the corner. <laughs> this is the most civilized of things we have found. <laughs> We've tried many other things, but the peeing in the corner is the best. <laughs> um, so <laughs> they decide they have to shoot stuff again. So the, the crew is like, hmm, we need a big giant laser. <laughs> right, excuse me, phaser. <laughs> and so they, they bring out the big giant phaser, um, which is a an old camera gantry because uh the prop master said and i quote uh you can't go down to the corner drugstore or to a gun store and get one of these <laughs> now i'm amazed that this is the only time that we see this device i mean we don't yeah, see right? kirk we don't see picard we don't see even see benjamin cisco pull out one of these it's true oh well anyway so they start shooting at the thing and they make fireworks happen, which is a cool effect. It was it, honestly, it looked like the fireworks uh, from Mary Poppins in the animated segment I, I going I, off all around the door. I couldn't, I couldn't help but imagine they all had their little goggles before we did it. Okay, everyone just hand out the edibles, edibles, edible, edible. Right. Okay, here we go. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did you remember the Zeppelin? I didn't bring the tapes. Oh, no. <laughs> turn, up shoot and power, shoot and shoot. turn up the power and crank up dark side of the moon <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately nothing happens uh wow, so that suck <laughs> right they just sat there and looked at it like well uh, too bad so we go back to kirk and vena and pike she's and vena. she's or, oh i did it again pike and vena <laughs> and vena's like i'll give you information but you have to really get into this because I don't feel like you're really into this. <laughs> <laughs> they can't make you do anything that you don't want to, but they can torture you. <laughs> they can make me do things that I don't want to. No, right? <laughs> so she's like, listen, here's the rundown. The Telosians lived on the surface. They had a big war and now the planet is dead, but it's starting to become a little bit better. And that was a long time ago. So now we live underground. <laughs> the end. They went underground. They became addicts to their own illusions and their own desire for entertainment. And thank God television is here to tell us these things. Right. <laughs> uh, I can't even imagine being addicted like that. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, then the brain lady shows up again and she's mad because, you know, Vina's telling every, telling all the stories. And so she gets mad at Vina and takes her away. Okay. Now keep in mind, Vina's there. She screams. She disappears. Now her clothes stay there, but Vina disappears. 
Yes. I want to talk about that later. So that's what happens. She just disappears out of the, out of the, and is apparently naked. <laughs> and I wonder if that was like, they were like, hey, hey, our audience is going to know she's naked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can't show anything, but we can suggest it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway. So Pike decides he's going to get the heck out of here. And so he's, he's like touching the wall and looking around. All of a sudden a thing slides open and there's a mystery vial. Gatorade. Yummy. (laughs) It did not look like Gatorade. It looked soupy. (laughs) (laughs) It was gross. Um, So the, they, they make him feel lava because he won't drink it. He's like, no, I'm not drinking it. And, and they send him now. I'm going to be honest with you. The whole, let me send you to like the fiery lake thing. (laughs) Yeah. When you're a seven year old Catholic boy. Yeah, that, that image kind of sticks with you a little bit, though. <laughs> I, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I mean, growing up as a as a young Lutheran man watching this, I would have been like, mm, meh. <laughs> that, looks, that looks uncomfortable. <laughs> he brings back the aliens like, from a fable you heard once in childhood. It's like, what fable? Hansel and Gretel right. go to hell? What, what the fable are you talking about? I believe about? the fable was... Nightmare on Elm Street? <laughs> we don't understand it, but we can see it in your head. Who is the stripy shirted one? I don't understand. <laughs> what yeah, is this trying to get dream trilogy? I don't get it. <laughs> so <laughs> we want he, entertainment. He, We're not discerning. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, while the while uh, the brain ladies explain to him, I can do all these things. Pike just throws himself against the uh, against the glass without any sort of announcement, and the brain lady takes a few steps back. She's like, "Ah, don't don't hit me!" And Pike and says, he's like, "That's very interesting." Now the, the about, when he does it, the window just kind of goes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love that window. I love that sound. It's like, man, you could really drop a beat with that thing, right? So yeah, Pike hits it. The guy backs up, tells him that's very interesting. And the really, really sad thing about this is that Artie Johnson saw the original cut and thought this had actually been shown. And so he used that phrase and laughing for years and thought he was doing a callback. And in truth, nobody knew what the hell he was talking about. That's funny. It's, it's just one of those sad Hollywood stories. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, they're like, why don't you like the girl? The girl is wonderful. Yeah, let us show you how wonderful the girl is. And boom, he's in a green field. <laughs> okay. Now, first, I thought this was in the Idaho place he was talking about, but he says this right? is Mojave. So this well, he is says, a- this looks like my childhood, and I was from Mojave. And I'm like, Mojave? Like Mojave, California? And I believe also- so, yeah. This is supposed well, to show, because she says, this used to be all desert at one time, just rolling sand and... Yeah, so, I don't know. I I didn't like it. Um, and you know she's like, um, she's got the 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 whole picnic laid out. They have the obligatory horse standing there looking bored, and <laughs> she offers him a sandwich made of her special chicken tuna. Yes. <laughs> what the hell is chicken tuna? <laughs> and again. In the future, they've just gone too far with gene editing. <laughs> I, <tell you. laughs> 
I don't know. It reminded me of Jessica Simpson thinking chicken of the sea was, was chicken. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, it, it had a very Wanda Maximoff vibe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They just kind of plumped him into it. It was like, no, you're in a sitcom. <laughs> right. Anyway. <laughs> so he, uh, he's, sitting there talking about how wonderful this place is and it reminds him of his childhood, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to use hate. That's how I'm going to win this. I'm going to use hate. All we are saying (laughs) is give hate a chance. (laughs) I couldn't help but imagine a very young Alex Jones watching this on a rerun and thinking that's how I'm going to keep people from reading my mind and getting my bone broth recipe. (laughs) I'm just going to hate stuff. That's my thing. (laughs) You'll never get my recipe. (laughs) Well, the aliens, they see all this and they're like, well, no, this one's not working. Let's try something else. (laughs) So they do dream sequence. And we're now suddenly he's in what appears to be now. I don't quite get it. It, If I think it's a Roman, uh, like, like a Roman courtyard with a pool. Yeah. And they're all sitting up on on one elbow, Roman style. And he, it's him, some Starfleet guy who's in a really weird colored Starfleet uniform <laughs> that looks like it's made out of like gold lame. And a Earth, according to the credits, Earth Trader. I don't know what that means, but that's what he is. There's a band playing in the background and a green Orion slave girl played by Vina. Vina. So this is the cringiest scene. Oh my God. (laughs) So I love the Starfleet officers like, Hey, do you like her? You know, (laughs) they like being taken advantage of. Oh my God. (laughs) What the hell, man? (laughs) At least Pike looked at him like, excuse me. What did you just say to me? So I'm really interested in, in we started with, okay, we're going to dress her as a Disney princess. Okay. That didn't really work. Um, how about Betty Hooper from Archie or, or maybe Marianne from Gilligan's Island. Okay. That didn't right. really work. So let's go green animal woman. So are they digging into his browser history or their own? Seriously, those are well, very specific. At this point, based on earlier conversations, this is the doctor's brain. <laughs> Somewhere on the ship, the doctor's like, mm-hmm. I have to say, though, he nailed it. It's like, you guys actually found a scene that Jim Kirk would go, oh, no, no, this new, no, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> All right. Not cool, man. <laughs> like, I was down with, with the green girl, but once you started talking, I'm out, dude. <laughs> You're a creep. though i i really like uh uh, pike's uh shiny purple and teal robe in this because honestly yeah i'm getting pictures of that that's my next cosplay right that's some good (laughs) stuff especially with little gold necklace oh yeah (laughs) so then clearly this isn't working so they whisk him back to his his uh or they he gets up to go to the bathroom and he walks into the next room and suddenly he's trapped in a small room with the green girl Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And the look at her face, too. It's pretty clear that, uh, yeah. (laughs) Right. 
So I did like the way that they filmed this because uh, like all the sound just suddenly cut off to indicate that there was now a door where they didn't or where there's now a wall where there used to be a door. Yes. Uh, very, very Twilight Zone. I, I really liked that. Uh, the, the way that they just used the environment to put you there. It was really good. Um, so then we go back to the, the Enterprise because we don't want to see what's going to happen here. We have to fail. <laughs> um, and so on the Enterprise, they're talking about how they figured out where the power generator is. And they, one of the uh, crewmen is like, well, couldn't that be an illusion too? And Spock looks at him and it's like, really? <laughs> like, screw you, dude. <laughs> he just walks away. <laughs> Fine. I'm not going to give you any more ideas. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for bringing it up, Bill. Right. So they so, decide, uh, we don't know what's going on, so let's just go. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone want to not go? Okay, let's just go. <laughs> right. And I, I love the, the, the way that they just smarmily do this. Spock is like, everybody, let's go. And number one is like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> you know, I'm in command, but whatever. Spock <laughs> said it's fine. Yeah. You do remember who your boss is, right? <laughs> Seriously. And so they go to the transporter room and they're all, let's go. And only the two women get beamed down. (laughs) And the transporter guys go, yeah, we did it. No, no, no. no. (laughs) That wasn't supposed to work that way. No. Now we get Leonard Nimoy delivering one of the finest lines of all of Star Trek that's ever been delivered as he shouts and freaks out and goes, the women. I need to find that clip so I can use that as my uh, my alarm for my phone. Seriously. <laughs> the woman. She's Louise. And so when they show up, we find that they beamed into the uh, the same plexiglass hotel room that Pike and Vina are in. And Vina's kind of like uh, massaging Pike. And when she sees the other woman, women, she screams. No, let me finish. Which, (laughs) which, you know, as a kid, I would have heard that line and just like, oh, yeah. But, you know, as an adult, you hear that line. It's like, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And Vina all of a sudden finds out that because she's being held by people who are addicted to reality television, you are now on The Bachelor. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and you know, I think you kind of get the idea that Laurel and, uh, um, or not, not Laurel. I forget what her name is. Um, the yeoman and, and, uh, number one, both kind of look around the room and they instantly get what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Which tells you a lot about the universe, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, Christ this again. Um, <laughs> So there's a great story here. They, the, uh, uh, Vina talks to Majel Barrett and says, you talk like a computer, uh, which comes to fruition in the universe since she eventually <laughs> becomes the voice of Star Trek computers. Um, and also some, uh, some train lines across the U S. Oh, really? Yeah. I did um, not know that. Yeah. There's a, uh, some of the train lines that she's used for the automated voice systems. That's fantastic. I'm gonna have to look for that. Because there, there actually are voice systems you can get where you can just type stuff in and it sounds like airport announcements. Uh, 
anyway uh and she's she kind of looks at her and she's like computer huh well you're old <laughs> <laughs> i just did the math in my head and you're not <laughs> sweetie right um i also i'm 18 I love how thing. old i'm 18 how old <laughs> two, two times 18 two times 18 is 36 that's my like it. <laughs> The the alien does her little, you know, well, you're like this. And, and Majel, I know you've had dreams about him. So, like, I, you must have a thing for him. <laughs> and she looks at the yeoman. She's like, and you think he's just not available. And she gets that deep blush on. And you're like, oh, no. I know how this is going to go down. <laughs> Thanks, alien Tom Bergeron. Right? <laughs> so, Pike is like. No, I'm not doing this. And they're like, oh, yeah? Yeah, you are. And he's like, oh, yeah? I can hate harder than you. And he <laughs> hates. And he tells everybody else, you need to hate, too. <laughs> Go on, everybody. Hate is the answer. <laughs> I couldn't help but think in modern day, it's just like, you know, there's no way you could keep up for that long. That's what you think. Everyone, pull up Twitter and Facebook feeds. Starts rolling. <laughs> right? A, uh, we're going to play baby shark on a loop. Aliens won't be able to stand it. <laughs> if we can keep from killing each other, we should be able to get out of here. Right. So they go back to the enterprise. Spock is in the captain's chair Ooh. and he uses a weird line. <laughs> Address <laughs> intercraft. I, I heard them say this three times before I finally figured out what they were saying. I was like, whoa, it's actually kind of cool. <laughs> It's like, you don't have a button for that on your chair. All the stuff that your chair does, you don't have a button that just like open all this, you know, open mic, all speakers. Well, and it's going to, it, it definitely varies over the years because, you know, in the first series, it was always, you know, shipwide message or whatever. It's somebody to open a channel for him. And then on next gen, he would tell the, comp- the, uh, the, the ship to do it and the system would respond to him. And then. On other shows, it seems to be kind of automatic that they just start talking and it just happens. <laughs> it's weird. Anyway, so yeah, the the whole or uh, blah 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 blah. So Spock's like, "Hey, everybody, here's the deal. Um, <laughs> don't know where the captain is. Don't know how to get him back. So we're out. We're just gonna leave." <laughs> yeah, I love I love the Helms when it's like we are leaving. The Helms is like, "All right, I'm out." <laughs> <It's> like, right. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, well, Hey, listen, the, the engines aren't really running. And Spock's like, okay, turn on the rockets. <laughs> it's like, what? Dude, do you even know how one of these ships works? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're towing liquid rocket fuel. Don't you? <laughs> Come on, Tommy, turn on the rockets. <laughs> well, that doesn't work. Um, I, I don't know. Um, Try the starter again. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to need to jump. So then the screen just starts freaking out and everybody's like, Oh no, I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, we go back to the, the prison cell and, uh, well, and Pike has laid a little bit of a trap. He's thrown down the phasers that the two female officers had. And he puts them right where he saw the, the Gatorade pop up. Yeah. Now here's my point. The thing opens up and the little hands go to grab the phasers and Pike grabs him and throws him to the ground. Okay. You just made Vina disappear. 
yeah. without her clothes, but you had to open a door and reach in to get the phasers. No, I will give them this one. It's perception. They're messing with your mind. They're not actually changing things in in reality. So they can't like use their mind to pick up the stuff. So did they just make him think they made Vina disappear and she was still there? I think either they made him think she was there or they made him, or they, they either made him think she was gone or they made him think she was there. Ah, make her think she was there in the first place. Okay. Yeah. All right. They were changing his reality, not changing actual reality. So this would fit in with the slow elevator technology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so he pulls the, the alien in and all of a sudden the alien's like, oh yeah, I'm a pig gorilla. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Which, which he does that to scare Pike and over in the other jail cell, there's the actual pig gorilla going, really? Really? That's, that's what you're going to come up with. You think I look like that? Dude, not cool. (laughs) Racist. He's talking to the the chicken in the other cell. He's like, I don't really sound like that. Do I? (laughs) Do you you believe this shit? Oh my God. (laughs) So, uh. He's like, you stop this illusion or I'll twist your head. Oh, I, I love the same because my oldest brother used to, as a joke, used to say it to me from the time, you stop this illusion or I'll twist your head off. <laughs> and the alien, of course, does the most alien thing, Star Trek alien thing possible. Let me go or I will destroy your ship. Right. I don't know. At this point, he should have been like, listen, there's only two people left on that thing at this point. So go for it. <laughs> You can't kill anybody in my ship. I already got rid of all the ones with the red shirts. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back to the ship. Bing. And unfortunately, nothing is working. And everybody's trying their hardest to see if they can do it. I do like that they open the hood and they're like tinkering. And they're all standing around tinkering. And they, I, I don't know. Should, should we try to replace? You know, does that supposed to look like that? <laughs> yeah. What about one of them resistors? Yeah, I like those. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. They they, they uh, remind him we can make your crew do whatever we want, so we can make them push a button, and it would be a bad button. And, and he's like, and, and Pike's like, "Well, I'm going to gamble. You're not going to do that." Yep. What? That's yeah. That makes sense, right? <laughs> but then he finally gets practical. Oh wait, what if I just point one of the phasers at your head? Right. Exactly. And now, now we're starting to get some traction. And it's a, this is a particularly cerebral point for a show of this era. He's like, I'm going to point this gun at your head because I'm fairly certain everything I've shot so far is actually broken and it actually worked. And you just made me not see it. And the alien's like, Mm, yeah, you call my bluff. <laughs> and you got it, dude. I love the the satisfied look on Pike's face after this because it's kind of like, I finally found your one weakness. You don't want to get shot in the head. <laughs> <laughs> so we get back on the surface and we see that the uh the the elevator has actually been blown up pretty bad. <laughs> and the <laughs> I, I, it kind of bugged me that there wasn't like a wasteland around them, like, you know, wreckage of cities and stuff that they, they were hiding. Yes. Uh, I kind of wish that's what, was Oh, that would have been but a nice touch. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, anyway, so they're like, Hey, listen, if you stay here, we're going to set you up 
We'll set you up for life. You see her? Look how pretty she is. You're going to be with her. <laughs> you just make a bunch of kids. We'll make sure your life is great. It'll be wonderful. Just stay here. And we're going to watch you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing creepy about it. No, 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 not creepy. We just want to experience your feelings at all times. We are not created by the, by the phenomenon you refer to as big brother. <laughs> we promise we will not vote you out of the house. <laughs> so Pike does the, uh, does the, the brave thing. And he says, Hey, listen, brain lady, I'll stay here with Vina. Just let my two officers, my two female officers go back to the ship. And let my ship go. Which at this point, number one just goes crazy check and just just says, oh, you know what? No, I'm going to kill us all. Okay. I actually really like this scene. Oh, me too. She very surreptitiously, I mean, we're watching with the camera, of course, but she surreptitiously does the twist lock thing on the phaser. And you as the audience member are watching this going, what's she doing? And then they just kind of go quiet for a second. You're still like, wait, what just happened here? Why did everything get tense? And Pike looks down at what she did, looks at the aliens, and he's like, oh, yeah, she's going to blow us up. <laughs> she just turned that phaser into a bomb. Which like, it makes sense no. she would do it like that because she doesn't want the aliens to quite figure out what she's doing in time to make totally. her stop. I totally. also like the fact that it only takes a few <laughs> a few jerks around of these little dials and you can blow the gun up in your hand. That's, that's quite a feature. Well, it's not a defect. It's a feature. This actually sets the tone for years and years of content for star Trek where all their phasers have that setting where you can overload it <laughs> and you know, you know, you just, all you got to do is push a button, jam it into a panel on the ship and you can blow up a whole section. <laughs> Cause you know what I've always thought is missing from our modern firearms, the ability to have it blow up in my, in my hand on purpose. That, well, that's, that's listen, you know. <laughs> futuristic self-destruct technology tells us that any piece of technology has to be able to be destroyed in your hands. <laughs> oh God, this is going to be on the next iPhone, isn't it? Right. <laughs> self-destruct. Actually, they kind of have a self-destruct. <laughs> you ever, you ever use that uh, reset all settings and erase phone? <laughs> it's there, man. <laughs> you combine that with that lithium ion battery. <laughs> Do it. And then the, hook that thing far. <laughs> so, the, on the ship, while this is all going on, on the ship they're watching as everything lights up again and the screens start displaying all of human history that's happened in the last five years before this show. Because it's, it's basically the space program, Kennedy and, uh, uh, was it Nixon? I think it was Kennedy and Nixon showed up on screen. <laughs> and you're like, well, there's not a whole lot of history there. Oh, oh, wait, there was some Romans. Oh, 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 there was the Egyptians. And a whole bunch of stuff from the space program. Okay, there we go. That's the whole thing. That pretty much takes care of it. All right. Um, so Pike's like, you know, we can help you out, but uh, yeah, you're kind of just as bad as we are. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love, so the, the aliens when, uh, first of all, I love the look on the alien's face when she first sets the, uh, the phaser to stun. Cause the look on her face is like, did she, are you, is that? <laughs> right and then well, the other two aliens come up and say hey we just read all their history let's download it into your brain really quick and they download it into the alien's brain and his ideas about humanity changed drastically very quickly 
oh crap you're those humans you're the oh oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, whoops oh, oh. so yeah. <laughs> pike's like all right let's just get this over with so number one in the yeoman they transport back to the ship and pike's like vina come with me baby i'll rescue you and you'll be happy all the time on my ship I don't know how old you are yet. So, you know, it's cool, but you should come with me. And she's like, uh, yeah, I can't really go. <laughs> he's like, but, but why? And then she walks away and the aliens are like, oh, we should show him. <laughs> and she, she begins she to really do let her, herself go. Right. right? It's, it's all right. <laughs> it, was, it was a really good twilight zone transformation. She, she went to, and just started aging and getting this weird, like, I don't know, a hunchback of Notre Dame thing going on. And, and then she, she kind of crushed up a little bit and, and he's like, Whoa, you're not pretty. And she's like, I know, but they did the best they could. And they fixed me. (laughs) And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to leave now. And they're like, well, we'll make her happy. Don't worry. And they turn her back into a beautiful young woman and they give her a pike zombie. Yeah. What? So if they could have done that from the very beginning, why were they messing around with Pike in the first place? Because the Pike, because the illusion Pike can't give them kids, and they they wanted kids so bad, they wanted grandchildren so bad. I, ugh, so gross. Because they were going to repopulate the entire planet with humans until they read it's our in- history, and they were like, "Okay, yeah, you uh, guys, yeah, are- we don't want those." <laughs> I, the only thing wow. is though is that they couldn't create stuff out of nothing, so I can only guess that this this pike is actually the pig gorilla. They just made him look like pike. <laughs> Big gorilla's like, yeah, I'm stepping up in the world. Right. He's <laughs> like, I will take this assignment. <laughs> <laughs> Cause if star Trek has taught us nothing, it's that the entire galaxy desires human women. That's true. We have the hottest women. It's absolutely right. So he returns to the enterprise. The yeoman's all like, so does that mean that, that one of us could have been Eve? And he's like, <laughs> um, we're not going to talk about this. <laughs> I also really like that. She kind of sidles up to him and she's like, so now I know that you're actually available. <laughs> <laughs> and he's totally got that look in his face. Like, yeah, uh, you know how you're going to go eat drinks. We're not doing that. That's not happening. And the doctor's all, so you look well rested. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, everything after this trip, everything's all fine. And you think to yourself, like green slave women, is there nothing they can't do? Right. Uh, and then they, they do the, the final zoom out, out through the glass dome into the closing credits. Oh, Uh, oh, when they, before they do this though, everyone sits back down and then Pike just barks out to number one. What are we doing here? Run to that ship. (laughs) <laughs> you haven't even told us where to go yet, dude. What right? is your deal? What Again, is everybody's problem? Once once he sees his own death, he seems to he seems to mellow significantly. Yeah. Uh, so they they zoom out of the bridge through the glass dome because no harm will ever come to a spaceship in space. Um, <laughs> and uh, we go right into the the closing credits, which was super fun. Actually, I I liked the zoom out. Yes. Um, and then they play the traditional star trek song that we all know and love and the bongos 
Man, I love those yeah, bongos. I'm right I there dig with you. those crazy bongos. Anyway, that's a great episode. I I absolutely love this episode. It's so weird, so icky, so cringy, so much fun. And it's one of those weird things that you get to see so many things that are somewhat familiar. Yeah. But not quite said in their final in their final way. Totally. Um anyway, so that's that is uh the cage. It's a great episode. It helps set the stage for future Star Trek, even though nobody knew about it for quite a long time. And uh <laughs> yeah, but it's good stuff. And then, you know, of course it got chopped up and used in the menagerie, and we'll we'll talk about that in a later episode as well. Yes, indeed. So next time we'll get on to probably episode two, since we've already done episode one. I think we've done episode two also. Did we really? Charlie X. Oh, that's right. So, so we'll have to do episode three. Episode next. three, which is actually the second pilot. That's true. Yes. It all fits in so perfectly. It's like we planned it that way. <laughs> anyway. Hey everybody. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Um, uh, we will join you next time as we get into the next episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'd like to also send a shout out to our good friends over at five year mission for the use of their song beam down in our intro and outro. Thank you. Please make sure you head on over to five to check out their stuff. They do a song for every episode of the original series and they group those into seasons for each album. Uh, also make sure you head on over to Apple music to check them out because they have a presence there as well. And you can buy all their stuff there. Uh, as I said, thanks for joining us and, uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks everybody. Starter 832, 2016.